Welcome to Talking Performance, a podcast where myself, Jay Carter, and David Galbraith chat about the mental strategies to help you perform at your best in sport and in life. From time to time, we'll have guests on where we will discuss the world from their view. These sessions are all recorded live on Facebook every Monday night at 8pm New Zealand time on the public group page, Talking Performance. I'm currently the national coach for New Zealand Golf, and David has worked with a number of high-performance teams and athletes throughout New Zealand. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Hello, David. Hello, Jay. G'day, mate. How are you? <laughs> Andre, how are you, mate? Nice, nice to meet you, mate. I've been sitting and watching for a while, so I'm excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done on, on well done on doing this then. Thanks very much. Oh mate, this is this is this is probably more exciting for me than it is for anyone else. So, <laughs> so <laughs> no. mate, I, I had I had the most wonderful day at the Chiefs a few years back. Like I don't know if you've seen the preview that Jay cut up, but um, you know those that experience just watching Andrew Strawbridge go at it and um yeah. that that whole um how he just interacted with players on a personal level and then he was business and then he was taking the piss and that ability to to be what was required in the moment i was so i was so envious of because we don't have that in cricket it's like don't get too close to the players you know um this is business and always keep them at an arm's length scenario and i looked at that and i was like wow man that is what i that's where i want to be i want to live that hold on andre hey jay you should be going live with us buddy (laughs) stand by (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's got you have to just hold on to that Andre, you have to yeah it. we'll come back to that i have got that on. i've got a list eg this is i said to andre this is part one yeah uh, you like this is epic like we're underway i love that so where about to you andre i'm in i'm in cronulla mate i'm in sydney um, oh, okay yeah 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 it's been um i moved over here in 2018 uh and lucky enough to get a, a job over here and I didn't think I'd get it. I really enjoyed the interview process, the the, the challenge yeah. of the interview yeah. process, knowing that, you know, I'm a basically a not high for a high profile enough person to get the role. Um and so I sort of went at it uh with with nothing to lose and it um it worked out really well. Well done. So I see we're going we're going live now. Um so you, obviously straws is someone you chatted with too but listening to that um little wee teaser that not very much it was a big day uh, yeah yeah i had i had not i didn't really get as much time as i'd like to have had with them i, I even spoke to um uh what was the head coach's name at the time uh dave Rennie. Rins. yeah and uh i was watching the way he was he was just observing so they were doing a backline move um because i was going to play one of the south african teams and it was basically the ball was kicked over the back line and they had to return the ball um fairly aggressively and the way they were speaking to the players like when things were good and things weren't weren't good they were letting them know and like we've never been we've never had that space really in cricket where you can say that's not good enough you know in a, in a live net it's like wow um and they were going at it and, and it was basically and the players were not taking there was no emotion involved it was you know they all understood that this is for the best this is for me this is so that i can be at my best this is what the team requires and dave rennie was just sitting there watching um and i said to him what's the plan here and he said oh we think they're going to do this they're going to kick it over our back line um and we want to return it in this way and um and i was like oh yeah what if they don't and he <laughs> and he turned around and looked at me and he said they will <laughs> and, I, and I just sort of like retreated out like <laughs> it was mate it was really cool and I thought actually I know that the difference between um, cricket and rugby is that 
you know, there's playing styles, you know, and, and that you have this, you have this, this team play and cricket has a method of some, some teams have, we're going to attack like this, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. But there's so many individuals involved in the game of cricket compared to a game of rugby where it seems to be more team orientated because, you know, it's a real team sport and that you have to pass the ball on the back line for everyone to get a touch, you know, for, to create a move that you think is going to create not an opportunity um, or you need your forwards to get there faster than the opposition. Whereas cricket's still very individual and I'm wrestling with that. How do you, how do you get the individuals together as a team? And so what do you do at training? You know, like, what do you, you do a team exercise or do you do individual exercise that, that ends up being a team exercise? And um, it's a real, that's my real conundrum at the moment is finding an effective method of practice that involves team play. Uh, so you can create an identity um, and it's here. Yeah. And then is that, is that the right way to do it? You know, it's like you need an identity first and then build towards that. And so, yeah, we're kind of, we're kind of starting at ground zero a bit with cricket, but it's, um it's quite exciting. Nice. There's a good. There's a, there's there's now a, there's an epic start, Jay. Yeah, straight into it. See, Andre, I think that would be the best start we've ever had. <laughs> That's very kind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is I watched the, the, yeah. I watched I feel the introduction. Yeah. I've always struggled with compliments, so I'm thinking, man, I'm going to overload you with compliments. <laughs> yeah. I think my camera so might just black out. Good. My camera might that, black out at some stage. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Beard's looking really. Um, Gray, very gray. Wise. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we mm. thought we'd have you up for that, DG. <laughs> we thought we'd get a bit of feedback for Andre uh, on that. Yeah, where you go, Jay. Do your thing. Um, yeah, right. So let's uh, let's introduce Andre. Um, we've got a few people joining already, and that was, a, as DG said, a bloody good start. Um, Outstanding. This is uh, the idea of these, mate, isn't necessarily about your bio as a player. Um, it's more about you, the human. But um, obviously a pretty pretty awesome career played for New Zealand in all three formats. Mm. Um, played the one test, mate, took six wickets in the match, I believe. Mm. Um, and then had a pretty impressive county career over in England. I guess the only thing that I noticed missing from your CV, mate, was that you never made the ND team. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah, that was by choice. I think in the, the, the ND team are... I think the absolute arch rivals, even though I've got some great <laughs> mates, um, Joey Ovich, one of my great mates, we started off as real enemies. Um, but yeah, and Northern District's actually probably the most aggressive team I've ever played against, um, which is which is saying something given I played against Australia a couple of times. So um, yeah. And uh, I did I did hear you say that you'd rather play for Canterbury than Northern Districts. One hundred percent, yeah, and, absolutely, and, yeah. And, I, and I wouldn't and I wouldn't play for Canterbury either. So um, yeah, no, it's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm 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 an Auckland boy. I'm, I've been an Auckland boy um, through and through. Never wanted to leave. Um, and yeah, I was I was fairly proud of my uh, my heritage back in, in Auckland. Um, my old my not my old man, but my stepfather used to get me to read the wisdom actually, and so I became overly aware of five wicket halls and what stats actually um, how they lived you know, the test of time, basically. And so I wanted to make sure that my record had enough um, five-wicket halls in there to stand the test of time. So, um, yeah, it was one of one of the goals, and it worked out okay. Nice. Um, and as you know, we normally get the guests to provide a poll question and a quote, but yep. I actually have a quick poll question for you. Oh, right. had it before. Yep. Would you rather face Neil Wagner with no helmet or Mitchell Stark uh -huh. with no shoes? Oh, this is this is... 
this is unpleasant. Um, I'll take Starkey with no shoes because I never stick on the sumps anyway. I was a bit of a coward, so it's uh, it's, all, it's all good. That might it's be an invitation good. for training next year then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know that we'd get that past the players' association to be fair, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now neither one of those is that appealing, but I'd rather them have. I'd rather they bowl at my my feet that can recover rather than my head. No, sorry, I'll leave you to your poll and quote. I'm just going to pick my pen up. Uh, my poll, my poll is um. Uh, is your life now better or worse than a year ago? And that's basically, you know, you can, you can explain, people can explain that as they like. Mine, for me, I'll give you my answer. Mine's better. I, the, the period of, um, of the challenging period we've had over the last 12 months has been, it was really good for me um, on a number of, on a number of um, fronts. First and foremost, I've just been more time with my family. And, um, and that was really crucial through that period. We had some real challenges um, over the last 12 months with, with two growing boys, got a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old. And we obviously, we moved from New Zealand and we we basically broke all of their support networks, you know, and they're teenagers. And all of a sudden, they're now going through puberty in another country with no support network, you know, no, nothing familiar. They got to find their way. Um, so that was... I really needed that, and it gave me more time to connect, reconnect with my wife as well. And that's been um, that's been one of the real highlights of of COVID. Um, it provided a lot of challenges as well. It provided um, some uncertainty for me in terms of uh, whether I wanted to do what I wanted to do for long periods. Um, we were away a lot more than we wanted to be. We were away for five to six weeks at a time. Um, we couldn't see friends and family as much as we'd like to. Um, I was involved in CA hubs, so it meant that I was um, basically I had to be at home or I had to be at work, and I had to have you know I've had seventeen COVID tests over the past um, twelve months. So um, it's been a real challenge. Um, and, the, and even though it's been a challenge, that's where I want to be. Like I, I used to run away from those, but actually now I'm 45. I've been doing a little bit more research into myself and I'm, I'm happier to run towards them than, um, than run away from them or hide under a tree like I used to. So, um, so yeah. Nice. I've got. Um, would you like to? Would you like the quotes? Or yeah. Would, so the quote is: um, I've got two. Uh, one is from Maslow, in nineteen sixty-six, and it's the law of the instrument. I'm sure you guys are familiar with this. When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and um, that that's really helped me in my coaching. I, I feel like that that was something that offered um, a bit of light on me as a person and as a cricketer, wanting to sort of get people to do it my way. Um, and then it, when I was in a really, um, I feel like I was in probably my biggest stretch of my career in terms of, um, opportunity to grow and willingness to grow and desperation to grow. I sat down and watched a, a documentary with Wayne Smith. It was a really short one, but it was, you know, I, I see Wayne Smith as, as a coach that's like, you, you, you can never stop learning anyway. But when you, but when you listen to him, you know, even your quote a few weeks back when it was like, well, when do you watch him play? <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that was pretty cool. But it was like, he said in this, in this uh, interview, it was like, it's our job to give the person exactly what they need. And that was in relation to, um, you know, performing under pressure and wanting people to become the best version of themselves under pressure, not this idea that they have in their head of what that might be. Um, and so for me, that made me think more around what do people need? 
and how do I learn that? And does it need to look like everyone else? Does it need to look like more throwdowns or could it be they need to go on an OE to, you know, Belfast and learn about themselves, learn how to cook and clean and, you know, survive? Um, do they need to be dropped from the system so that they learn to depend on themselves rather than have their hand out rather than hand up? Um, you know, there's, does that person need to talk about uh, their relationship with their wife or daughter or what is it that they actually need? And so that really shaped, as well as the, you know, the John Bracewell scenario, the idea of making sure that I don't want anyone to ever feel the way that I did. This opportunity to learn more about people, um, I feel, is probably my safe zone that I'm, I'm like, yeah, cool. If I learn more about people, I can learn what they need. I don't have to jump to a conclusion straight away. Nice. Writing notes there, DG. Well, I'm just wondering about the law of the instrument then, and eh? that what would that be? So it's not it's not a hammer. Mm. What instrument would that be that would allow us to be that flexible to see different contexts that deeply? Mm. And then I was wondering whether it's the the conductor's baton. I don't know. I was just trying to think how so conductor has to be. The conductor's in charge, though, right? And it's a bit scripted. You know, yeah, I'm so just trying like, to think about how he has to be so attuned to each and every uh, musician. So then the deeper relationship that he has to have with each musician in order to bring the orchestra together. Mm -hmm. You know what you're talking about before with it, you know, like an orchestra feels really like closely aligned to a cricket team. Mm -hmm. We've got individuals, but together collectively, they'll create the harmony. Mm -hmm. And if someone's on their own gig... <laughs> Then yep. all you're going to get is the big fucking boom, boom, boom all night from up the back on the <laughs> drum. Yeah. yeah. Because he's had a shit night, had a shit night with his woman at home or whatever, you know. So, yeah. you know, that, that could be like, it could be, you're right, that it could be about control. But if it is, the, yeah, I was just I was trying to think what the instrument would, I just thought, I love that, the law of, of the instrument, what that would be. Matt Henderson has just, said it could be the Swiss Army knife. He loves the Swiss Army knife, Hendo. <laughs> yeah, it still feels like the Swiss Army knife is an object that you're doing something and then it, you create, you actually do something too rather than facilitate or look at mm. and hold and let, let something happen. Like you've got to actually use the screwdriver or you've got to use the blade and then it's the same thing. Obviously, you've already got to hammer. All you've got the knife, all you got out is the blade, you just want to cut shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that, that definitely hit me. Like that was, you know. It's a great one. I was, I was like, my defensive ego sort of sat up and was like, I'm not a hammer. <laughs> and it was like, you could hear this little voice in my head going, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> You're a sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that, would, that would describe me in my first year. You know, I'd say sledgehammer would be pretty accurate. And I got some, I got some fairly fierce feedback that I, um, I needed I, I, at least two to three weeks um, to reflect on and, and digest in it. And it was it was awesome. It was actually, you know, one of the one of the great learning moments. Alison McLean what was, said it, what was the second one? Oh, go ahead, Jane. Oh, hold on. Alison had said, if all you had are eyes, everything mirrors ourself. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think, you know, that talk that talk less, watch more scenario is is um it's almost against everything we get taught as as cricket coaches, you know, because every coach yells at the back of the net, you know, commentates on um, nets rather than actually having that quiet word. You know, there's very few coaches that have a quiet word and will sit at the back of a net and savour it. But um, 
one thing that's that's not that's not present at a lot of net sessions is attention, or we don't know what someone's intention is. And so, how can you speak if you don't know what the intention is, unless you're asking a question? Um, if you did a little experiment where you got ten cricket coaches and put them in a room, you know, and, and said, "I want you to watch uh, this video," they'd all give you a commentary on what that person is doing wrong or right. But you know, no one would say, "Oh, what was what, what were they trying to achieve?" You know. So, I'm 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 sort of trying to I'm trying to take that that point of view now of um, let's look at, let's look at what they're trying to achieve. Or let's help them design what they're trying to achieve. And that's what they want to achieve. Not what I want to achieve, you know, and that again, like there's so much you can get, you can dive so deep on that part. Cause it's like how much of me is getting in the way of this player and how much of me is comfortable with what they're doing. And when I say comfortable, like actually comfortable with what they're doing. Um, Cause that's, you know, I, I feel like cricket's one of those games where there's so many, uh, unwritten laws and, and rules around how you should play and what you should do. And you can hear it when the commentators take, you know, they're constantly casting judgment rather than telling you what's going on. Um, and that's, that's, that's almost cricket coaching to a, to a, to a point of view. That's a, it's a great conversation, isn't it? Because it, you know, I've still got to get to your second quote yet, Andre. So, and you're on fire tonight. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> We're only like, the, the, you're out there. You've probably taken six or seven wickets. Now, the, the bit for me in there, which is, I reckon, worthy of a whole conversation itself is, you know, the law of the instrument. And then you've talked about how do you create a team of individuals, uh, a group of individuals into a team, and do you work on identity first or does identity come through the process of the coaching and the play? And then the law of the instrument. And then what it really creates is a wonderful conversation about it what is the critical ingredients within the space for you to achieve what you want to achieve? And obviously we'll start to talk about that, I reckon now and what you've learned through that, but it's just, it raises the, you know, and you talked about wrens and, you know, I guess one lovely reflection of not just wrens, but great coaches seem to have um, the, the metaphor. I think we've talked about this show, haven't we? The great coaches seem to be comfortable being, the, they, they're a grizzly bear. They're not a teddy bear. But 90% of the time, they're a soft, kind, caring teddy bear. But that's not a teddy bear. That's a grizzly bear. Yeah. And there needs to be something. It just feels like there needs to be someone in the space that holds a strong vision of what can be. Yeah. And if you have 15 people or 40, 40 men with a sense of what can be, it's chaos. Mm. And so there needs to be someone in that space that holds the vision of what can be from a compassionate coaching role versus a controlling and secure space. And then the magic can happen because people can contribute to that and then it morphs into a shared vision, but it feels like, you know, the law of the instrument, and that's probably why I was thinking about the conductor, the conductor has to hold the piece in mind for the, what is it, what is it actually called anyway? What's it called that the, is there a name for that, Jay? Do you know what that, what is a conductor? Composite. Yeah, composition. So there, yeah, so there's a good idea. So there has to, there is a composition. The, the conductor has to be holding some sort of composition in mind for us then to allow freedom and structure breeds freedom. So well, it's, a, it's a great start. Great start. It's interesting you say that because um, I think it was Crystal talked about. You know, the, the if you just have if you have no structure, you have chaos. Mm. And I, I think my years in cricket, we've always had this one 
narrow focus line, which is structure, which is nets, which is volume, which is I'm going to bat for 30 minutes and then I'm going to bowl for 30 minutes. And that's, and there's no chaos. Whenever there's chaos, people walk out of the net. If it's seeming too much or one bounces and hits them on the hand, it's like, oh, I can't deal with that. They get out of there. And that's a really common theme. It's like, we need more chaos. We need more discomfort and chaos at training because the only time we ever face it is in the middle. And so when we only face it in the middle, we become resentful of that situation and it makes us scared and we hope to get through it as quickly as possible. And we don't have our own methods to deal with it because we never practice and we never get the opportunity to practice in a safe environment where you can reflect on them and someone guides you through that process. And then you can say, well, that's okay. Like success and failure doesn't, they all look the same right now, but what matters is what did you learn from that last bit about yourself? And I feel like, Cricket's one of those games where it's so lonely in the middle when you're facing 145k, you know, bounces and and you're and you're out of touch, but you're in the team on goodwill. There's so much goodwill in cricket, you know, and it's like, is that better for the? Per- That's another story. Is that good for the person or not? Um, and then you're so lonely and you get so you revert to type so quickly because you've never had that opportunity to actually practice. Hold up, this is how I'm feeling, and that's okay. Now, what I want to do about it. And um, so the problem for us, again, like I said, is it's always in the middle, becomes a, a situation to fear and have res, um, resentment towards. And so we never address them because we don't want to talk about them because it makes me feel inadequate. And so there's there's so much, you know, cricket's probably the most macho game I've ever played without without the, the physically of, you know, rugby actually real sort of stereotypical macho being able to be strong and, you know, and, and physical cricket's the most macho game because we never admit that we're scared of something yet. You can see it. And we just, we just constantly scare it around what we can see and we never address. It It was all from your first quote. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, like I said, mate, it's been really, it's been really instrumental in, You know, looking at what, how, why do we do what we do? You know, how, why is it, why does it, why does it have to be that way? Just because someone says it, or just because the commentators say it? Why does it have to be that way? Like, who designed these rules, and who makes them the gospel? You know, at what stage do you challenge your own belief system, and what at what stage do you make your own belief system, and at what stage do you start looking at the great players and say, well, they don't do it like the rest of us, so why are we doing it like the rest of us? Hmm. So good. So good. Community, Jay, what are they saying? Um, Alison said, agree, out of chaos comes brilliance. The unknown space offers limitless possibilities, yet corrupted mm. by the need to know or control the situation or formula mm. in play. Mm. And Matt Henderson said, eyes always give it away. And I believe that was in reference to the fear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, um, yeah. yeah. One, of the, one of my mentors in golf is a guy called Mark Bull. And he... Um, he's golf coach, 3D by mechanist. But um, if I ever say the word should, um, he'll have a crack at me. Yeah. yeah I'll yeah, say, yeah. Oh, you know, should the right arm do this? And he's like, never say should, it could. Yeah. There's yeah. no such thing as should. And I really like that. Yeah. And we've got a question also from Scott Curtis. Andre, have you got a training session you've had that went completely different to how you thought or planned? <laughs> Most of them, you know, and I think, uh, I think, um, 
you know the the I'll come back to the should scenario because that's I love that one. That's that's one of the great ones in cricket. Um, mate, I have them all the time. Excuse the background noise. Just the, this house is full of people moving around. So um, the, you know, part part of part of my training was I need to be more structured. You know, need to you need to be really structured, and I thought that meant write it down, make it go to plan, tick it off as it goes. You know, that's what a good training session looked like. But as I as I learned more about myself, and I learned and I learned to trust the way I do things, trust my process, and trust um, my intuition, I can have a clear intention of how I want this to go, but it may not go that way. It may not be where that person is right now. And so, what matters is not what I want, but what they need. And that comes back to Smithy's quote. You know. Um, they will end up, will be able to drive what I want, which is, you know, a direction for the team or a direction for that person based on what we've talked about at a later time. But right now they need to know that they can see that they're not okay with what we're doing. And so we'll change it. And even though it's not going the way that I would like, it's still going the way that I want, if that makes sense. Because what we want out of this is that they know that we're there for them. And then in the end, they'll come back to you anyway. You know, so it's not, it's not a, it must go this way. It must tick these boxes scenario. Um, and there's been many, many times where I had this in mind, but it just didn't get there. And that's okay. Nice. Well, what were you going to say about the should? So, so should or shouldn't is really cricket. Right? Oh, you should do this. You should hit the ball on the ground. You should, um, you know, you shouldn't be playing that shot. Uh, I'd like to change it to can or can't. Can I or can't I, which stops the judgment, the judgmental aspect of me saying that person shouldn't do that or they should do this because if they can, why wouldn't they? If it's in their best, if it's in their best interest to play as well as they can, and that might be hitting the ball over the top for six, might be running down the wicket and hitting four four fours in a row. Do that. Like, why can't they? If they can, then go and do it. The problem is, is that the noise in their head is that I should or shouldn't, and that's conditioning. That's not factual. That's not their actual belief system based off evidence. That's a belief system based off someone else's belief system, which is not based off evidence. It's based off their belief system. So it's really important that they make their own truths, not seek someone else's or live someone else's. And that's, you know, that should or shouldn't, such a, it's such a dirty scenario because so many people are way more capable than we give them the credit for. But mm. should or shouldn't means I'm nervous about that situation. So I'd like you to stop making me nervous about that situation. So you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Nice. Um, should we let him get on to a second quote, DG? I see you're keen for that. I, I well, I was just, just thinking there, Andre, there's a lovely extension of the can and can't, which is it creates an opportunity to have some very mature conversations. Because when, you are, when you're having a chat with a young man about what they can and can't do, it's, it sets up an invitation for them to be um, courageous yep. and let you know what they can do and what they think they can't do. And then there's the moment when, sweet, let's stop talking now and let's go and see. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then now we've got learning 100 miles an hour because they've just told you what they can do. Yep. And then they go out there and they can't. Or yep. they can. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it really creates a lovely opportunity as a, as a coach to then set up the playground for them to go and do what they said they can. Yeah. Because for me, there's what, you know, think about, um, you know, think about what Smithy, I guess, is being talked about a bit tonight is there was always earning the right yep. to make the statement that you can. Mm. 
Mm. And then their coach's job is just to be the mirror about the statement made versus the weekly schedule that they've just seen or is coming. Yeah. So it's a hell of a thing to say those things I can because then within the culture, if it's set up well, it invites them to then man up and, and enter that space to see, mm. but without judgment. But yep. except the yeah. judgment sits in, well, you said you could and you can, but your weekly schedule is all shit, so we need to have a different conversation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I like so, that. Yeah. No, mate, it's, it's actually, you know, a, a really classic one is a young bats. We've got this really attacking young batsman, um, Ollie Davies. You know, he's a really gifted young kid. And um, he got out and he came running up to me and said, oh, did you see me get out? And I was like, yeah. He said, what do you think? I said, so what do you think? He said, oh, I probably should have had it on the ground. You know, I said, oh, okay. Why didn't you? He said, oh, I got a bit low. I was going to hit it over the top before. And then I, I thought, oh, I should hit it on the ground. And so I got halfway through and, you know, didn't commit. I was like, okay, could you have hit it on the ground? Yep. Could you have hit it in the air for four? Yep. Why didn't you? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not, can you hit that on the, on the, on the ground for four? Yes, I can. Well, and can you hit that in the air for four? Yes, I can. And what stopped them was the conundrum of I shouldn't. Not mm. I can or can't, but actually I shouldn't. And that's that judgmental aspect coming through. Someone else's voice is in his head saying, you've already got four off the over. You don't need any more. Well, let me tell you, as a bowler, if you hit me for four fours in a row, I'm under pressure. <laughs> so, you know, go and, go and find out what your truth is. And he's going to make mistakes doing that 100%. But we still need we still need him to get closer to his truth, not closer to my truth. Um, I reckon Brendan McCullum probably challenged a bit of that. Eh? With certainly in that World Cup when he just took it to teams, mm. and then in the final against Australia, you know, again took the same theory and got undone by a you know good ball and a you know maybe a better bowler on the day. But you kind of and he got copped heaps of criticism for the way that he went about it. But you just think he was. He did that for the whole World Cup and killed it. He's done his whole career. Yeah, whole yeah. Career. And the, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, all these people, oh, you shouldn't have done that in the World Cup final. But I think it's and, – and, man, full credit to him because it would have been easy to just to, – for him to think that too, I think. No, mate, very easy to, to, to go away from what, what makes you your best because it satisfies – the emotional desires of someone else, you know, that's all mm. people are saying, oh, I'm, I feel let down or I'm disappointed that you didn't get in and get going. And, you know, if you'd played a bit safer, then, you you know, you could possibly, but like play safe. I don't know if you remember him lapping Sean Tate for six at yeah. Stadium, you know, like Brendan's never, never been one to bow down to the, you know, the, the, the public opinion. Um, and he's, he, I remember when I first met him, you know, he said, um, he was just a kid, like just a, actually just a kid. And he was like, "I'm my brother and I are going to be the future of Otago cricket. We're going to take this game to a new level, you know." And and I, I looked at him and was like, oh, "Okay, I've never heard anyone speak like this before." And he was so confident, you know, a little spiky head, you know, beach blonde kid with his, you know, <laughs> it was like getting drunk all the time and smashing runs for fun. And then all of a sudden, he was like captain of New Zealand and you know, scoring triple centuries. It was like, wow, man, that is, you know, that that's that's so awesome. That's so. That's kept your own greatness rather than allowing other people. Like Brendan McCullum should never have scored a triple century, according to most people's conventional views of how you bat, you know. Yeah. But um, but he but he went and did it, and he did it his way. And it's like there's no one way to skin the cat, you know. Yeah. You can if you can do it your way, go and do it your way. And that's what I love about Brendan is he was always willing to do it his way. So um, you know, we look at people like that and we we hold them up in such high esteem, yet we're unwilling to reach for that ourselves. 
you know, because mm. we're afraid of that uh, opinion. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a real challenge. I reckon that that aspect of people's opinion versus what should I shouldn't I do versus what can I can't I do. Yeah. Um. Right. I rip into your. Have you, you haven't seen your second oh, quote? You know, it's, it's eight. It's eight thirty. Oh, and... One more. One more thing oh, before one... we get the second quote. So, Andre, you you you, you posed the question to yourself, which was, how do you get individuals together when you compared cricket with rugby? Mm. And a group of individuals doing a team, you know, called a team mm. versus a team. Um, has anything come up tonight that's helped you with that one? So you went team play or identity first or second. So what's what, has anything come from this conversation that adds to that space? Um, look, I think you know the we've got this. You know, you you had that you had that. Uh, I've written down some notes here. You said, you know, you need someone who's a grizzly bear who basically controls the direction but allows that freedom underneath. They, they have to have a very clear vision of what they want, um, of what everyone can be. Um, and then allowing that can or can't to be an extension into those 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 conversations, those invitations to be courageous. And mm. I, I'd mm. like us to have those um, more invitations to be courageous. And so mm. that's that's more around planning on net sessions and here's an opportunity to, to have a non-judgmental net session. doesn't matter who or how or, or what you're doing. Let's just find out. Um, what it looks like in terms of um, oh, here's a really cra- here's a really crazy goal. I want you to get thirty runs off the next two overs. Let's go and see how you can do it. Um, you know things like that. But uh, I, I'm, that's me spitballing. I, I always need a lot right. more time to reflect. Yeah, you know, nice though, mate. Very nice. Yep. Okay, Jay. Should we do the second? I'm out, Andre. Oh well, no. The second quote was was um was Smithy. You know, it's our oh, it's right. our yeah, it's our job to give the person exactly what they need. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well then, can we add? Can we add in then to what you've just summarised, Andre, yep. into what I saw in the little clip you did with Jay, which is around the um, the net sessions where you talked about. I can't remember exactly what the terminology you used, but you're out. You're generic, out. Oh, generic yeah. capacity training as well. Yeah, generic you capacity see. training. Yeah. See, so imagine what you if you add that. Yeah. yeah. Imagine if you add that to what you just said, which is you got two overs, get thirty runs, but remember, you're out. You're out. Yeah. Yeah, oh no, yeah, mate. I would love to do that, but I, I feel like we're starting. You don't start at the end, which is a which is a, a saying I love. So you start somewhere. You start where you are, and you need to provide the safety so people can be who they want to be. I don't mean comfort. I mean safety. So we push the limits first until there's a willingness and evidence and enough trust for them to say. Yep, I feel completely convinced that you're going to take us, you're willing to take us in a direction for us to be better rather than you're providing me with opportunities to fail all the time when I feel stupid. So um, I, I really want to get that balance right between the challenge and um, making sure that people know that we're here for them. It's nice. How many net sessions would you have a week, Andre? Because I've thought about that quite a lot because um, the... Uh, um, I guess the sessions that I've witnessed at cricket and obviously I was not a gun cricketer, but I did love it. You know, they're, they're a long way removed from the environment in which we play. And I think golf's very similar and equally frustrating in many ways, but there is, I think I was thinking about that. If you're out, you're out. You'd have to have multiple sessions in the week, wouldn't you? Where you had sessions where like if let's say you tour a captain, um, coaching a national team and you're touring India, mm. um, you would you 
not want to have sessions where you allow the batsman to play and try stuff against spin with the like I, I'm on a bit of a bender at the moment about trying to encourage people to be curious with their practice so not try and fix anything but just be curious enough to go mm, what if I try this or what if this yeah, happens yeah, yeah. Um, and so if you're out you're out you're potentially if you did that in every session you're potentially limiting that curiosity or that yep. opportunity for curiosity Yep, no, that's, that's that's totally fair, and I think um, I'm really against providing fluff at training. So, like, if you have an out, you're out, and then people want to go and have lots of throwdowns to create that psychological comfort, which then just removes the reflection of what you're actually doing. Like, the whole reason you do an out, you're out is because you want to have a reflection opportunity. You know, you want to get into that really deep reflective process, which is really honest. And depending on how honest you are, and depending on how deep your reflective process is, depends on how much you get out of what you're thinking about. And so, um, if you add fluff to that session, then you 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 basically cover up the good stuff that you've done. And so, yes, we want to have volume, but we want them to earn their volume by making sure that they can get through what they need to get through, which then gives them enough evidence to say they can do it in the game. It's not gonna. It's not gonna start with, you know, if you're out, you're out, you're done for um, forty minutes, or you're done for the day. That's it, and do that every single time. But it, it's definitely time to introduce competitive net sessions as a game because cr- where cricket is, is cricket doesn't have the opportunity to run the ball back at a back line. You know, we don't get that. Um, throw a high pass and you might get smoked scenario. We have the, we have the, you neck off and you keep batting. So um, we need to make it as real as possible. We make it as real as possible mentally, create some chaos in that aspect, but then we need some honesty and some really true reflection around why did I feel the way I feel, I felt, and what did that manifest its, um, into, that manifest into a nervous shot or poor foot movement or whatever it is, we tend to look at the poor foot movement and the poor shot and then try and fix the technical aspect of that rather than saying, well, that's the last part. You know, there's a bit that goes on before that, that is, I don't feel real good about this, which makes me feel, act and do certain things. And then I end up sitting on my butt watching the rest of this net. So there's, there's, there's so much to it. Um, but I feel like in cricket, we start, we start at the end. We always, we always look at the technical aspect and go, you know, I need to fix that. It's like, you know, if Aaron Smith throws a poor pass, no one, no one's worried about the technique of his poor pass. They're worried about how high, how high he threw it. Why did he throw, you know, why did he throw a poor pass? Was it because he was rushed because the forwards didn't do their job or did he make, take too many steps or, but we in cricket, we look at the, look at where his hands let go of the ball and say, oh, you know, you need to let go of the ball differently, you know? Um, and so there's, there's more to it than, than, than we, analyze but we analyze the technical stuff rather than the mental stuff and so you know that opportunity to provide more chaos will provide more truth i think for us um but it's got to be safe though right dg am i am i right in saying you need to provide safety rather than comfort so that there's evidence that they know that it's for them rather than you know we're trying to prove people wrong yeah you you put it really nicely i really like the way i put it Okay. I wrote that down as well myself. Um, Alison has said, oh, actually, there's been a few comments. Chris Reed said, yeah, Dre, tell us about volume. And then... Um, <laughs> That's my trigger. Rick- <laughs> my trigger. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Richard Smith gave it the thumbs up. Oh. we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, yep. Is that RJ Smith? Yep. 
Well, I think so. Yeah, I think so. If it is, I met him in Christchurch once, which yeah, was I man. think Wayne Smith jacked me up. Yeah, hell of a man. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. and Alison said, "How long in reflection process would you consider too long, and with awareness of the storyline then affecting the next moments?" That's one for DD. I reckon like that. That depends on how damaging it is. I guess I don't know. Well, the next question is, how much, if any, visualization do you use, and if so, when, and how around receptive programming? Do you want to dive into that um, question around how long the reflective process should be, DG? Oh, I, I, I love the environments have a TV there and they have one for one. Yep. Rock around, watch it, go and do it again. Rock around, okay. watch it, go and yep. do it again. Sit with the coach, talk about it, go and do it again. Yep. Yep. That's yep. the ideal. Like if you can have one for one coaching, do it, watch it. And then obviously that might mean you're going to get in a bit of a flow where you said before like two overs, 30 runs, go and do that, then we'll watch yep. it. Yep. So that's the great thing about elite sport is they have a wonderful opportunity to have such a high ratio of coach feedback to execution. Mm. So the learning, mm. the learning can be massive if everything underneath that you've talked about is taken care of and you've got good maturity. Imagine the, imagine the depth of learning, the speed of learning you can bring yeah. to that with technology that we have available now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, sport. We actually got a sports master after going to the Chiefs, and it, it um, mm. it's a real, you know, it's like why well, capture video if you're not if there's no intention behind the video, you mm. know. So it's like so we we have the opportunity to do it, but we also don't have an intention at training. So then there's no learning captured because we're just looking at technical. So it's just basically a high level of technical feedback instead of actually being intention um, based. But to answer the visualization question, yeah, we I've started doing it more and more. We um. I ask players to, particularly when we're we're doing a skill acquisition scenario where we might start on a really basic level to bring in um, somewhere they've been and a feeling that they've had in terms of I'm at you know I'm at the Wanderers in um, South Africa and I had this cover drive and this is what it feels like, bringing in the empowerment of that scenario so we can make it more real in their minds. And if I'm going to face you know Kagiso Rabada and I'm doing this underarm step step hit drill, how do I make that more real? I need to, it needs to become real in my mind. So you can, you can see the pace and you can, there's a positive affirmation there, but then we take it into higher level stuff where there's more pace and more speed and asking players to go somewhere they've been is a bit easier for them to visualize because it's, they're not making something up. Um, that's, that's, that's in my experience with it, but, but I've, I've really found that it helps, um, add a layer of confidence and understanding to what we're trying to achieve when we add in a visualization because it almost feels real. Um, it may not be, but it almost feels real. And so it's been something that I've been playing with I'm by no means an expert coach, but um, you know, I, I know that the brain is so powerful that if you, if you, if you can feel it deep enough, then it becomes real. Um, have you looked at, or you know, like the hot and cold reviews, have you looked at that? I don't know who, originally came up with that but um quite good in cricket i reckon because i do it in golf where if you're out on the course with someone and piss them off enough um and then ask them questions and write down their answers or record their answers and then the next so then they're hot you know when they're a bit pissed off and then the yeah, next day red and blue yeah, yeah. um yeah yeah so that's quite useful because yeah. the next day you say hey here's how you responded to that situation what do you yeah. think now and often it's a complete reversal and then it's about saying well how can we train to you know how can we train that you can switch that walking towards your next shot, not having to wait till the the rounds over and you've calmed down? Well, I love that. I, I, like, 
<laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, that's there's there's lots of scope in that for cricket. Certainly, there's lots of there's you know, I think we we spend a lot of time in the red zone. Yeah, I bet you do. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, you you mentioned in the video. Did can I change the tact a bit, DG? Here or are you still? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, there's a couple of things I did want to touch on, and um, one was your in, in the interview you mentioned use uh, a lot of external cues over internal cues in terms of I want you to I want to see the batsman playing forward defence rather than yeah you know what your elbow does yeah um, is that something that's just in, like intuitively that makes sense to you or is that something you've learned over time? Uh, it's something I learned over time. Like, you know, the old, how many times have you heard hit top of off? You know, and, and whilst it's, um, it's basically trying to say hit top of off, but in a more dynamic way, in a more fluid motion of um, here's the end goal. Um, but I need to use language, which is more descriptive, but simple enough for people to understand. And it, and it means what it means to them rather than do it my way. Um and so, you know, getting to play front foot D is really basic, but it means it's different for everyone. You know, Josh Hazelwood versus Sean Abbott, two totally different bowlers. You know, Harry Conway versus Mitchell Stark, two totally different bowlers. And so they need to be able to translate and have the the right, the creative license to do it in the way that they want to do it. I, I, good bowling is good bowling. And so if they can create front foot D, I don't care how they do it. And that is totally up to them. That individuality is totally up to them. And so um, that's one of the things I've been become super conscious of my language and my body language. And and so when I'm speaking to people in a coaching sense, I've got to make sure that I'm using a language and body language which backs up what I'm saying or what I want the outcome to be. Oh, lovely. Anything to add there, DG? No. Good. Uh, and the next bit that I did want to touch on was you mentioned a few times like tonight and, and the other day that uh, your time with braces really shaped you as a coach. Mm. How, did it, how did it shape you? Well, so braces was, um, I, I thought when he first came on board, oh, man, this guy's amazing. You know, like he's really clear with his communication. Um, he's, he's really, he's willing to talk to you about what he needs from you. He made practice fun. He was challenging people all the time. Um, you know, he had a really clear idea of the identity he wanted from the team and he wanted us to be the best fielding team in the world. And he wanted us to be able to chase down, you know, totals and be really dynamic and be really creative and, when you look at the Gloucester team that he'd coached, they, that's exactly, they were an amazing fielding team. They, they, they used their own potential to or, uh, smother teams. Um, and so the creativity was there. But what happened in the process was the communication between him and I broke down. And I said I was difficult. I was difficult because I kept asking questions. And um, for whatever reason, he, he couldn't give me any answers. And then when he did give me answers, I was in a place where I was like, I don't want to hear these answers because they don't make sense. Um, and so I lived in the victim world. So I spent, I spent two years living in the world of a victim, not getting better and not hearing anything. And I felt like in reflection, you know, now being a coach, I was like, actually, how do you recognize when someone's in that space where the communication that I'm giving is not clear enough? It's, they're not hearing what I'm saying. How, how do I have those conversations with them that they may not like, but they need to hear? And so um, no matter what happens now, even oh, I had a really difficult conversation the other day with Harry Conway, you know, it was a motive. Uh, I, I let the emotion get the better of me. And we ended up 
in a situation where we didn't agree, um, but then we we spent some time together, and the common ground is we both want to help each other get better, and that was ugly at the time. In my mind, it was ugly at the time. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't overly ugly. I didn't handle it as well as I could have, but I, I still didn't want to walk away from that scenario, saying or leaving him unsure of where we stood unsure of where our relationship was at, at that moment and so um credit to harry's maturity you know he he stuck around and we we nutted it out and again like it wasn't handled the best i didn't handle it as well as i could have um but we got there in the end um how do you how do you recognize the victim now how do you how do you what sorry how do you recognize the victim yeah um, like if you've got the if you if you see players or you think you have players that are um, have that victim mentality, what are you noticing? Uh, I'm noticing lots of blame. I'm noticing lots of like they, they can be quite evasive, um, and I'm noticing a difference between practice and the game in terms of this is how this is how much confidence I have at practice versus this is how much confidence I'm faced with a game. Um, and that's you know that's you got to find out their background. You got to find out their story before you can go diving into um, throwing instruction their way. Um, but yeah, when you when you see a victim, it sounds like blame and denial. Um, and that, that's in my that's in my experience. Um, I should recognise it because I was that guy. <laughs> 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 so um and, and look I, i've i've even played that you know I, I made a comment on one of the videos um a few weeks back around you know i i was accepting i was accepting these excuses as my truths and you know I, I was living in victim land um for about three months this season and it's and the players have noticed it you know um and, and i'm glad they have because it means that they're you know they've become more aware and they've become more confident and they and they trust me enough to say that wasn't good enough Nice. DG? I'm just wondering whether you noticed any shift, Andre, in that time about being able to accept praise. Uh, I like – the thing I like about praise is that it it, it it backs up my thought process. Like it backs up mm. I'm doing this mm. well. Um, mm. I'm pretty confident with what I do, mm. but I'm not – I'm not like this is the only way you can do it, mm. um, and so I, I like hearing it from that aspect, but I don't like dwelling on it. I want to hear what I can do better, and I don't know. Mm. I don't know exactly where that comes from. My old man has never been excited about anything in his life. You know, like it doesn't matter what you give him, he's like, oh yeah, that's cool, yeah, thanks. And I know, he, I know, on the inside, he's like bubbling, but he's never been able to show it. And I just wonder if that's something that has, you know, he's, he's sort of passed down. Um, yeah, it's it's mm. it's really. Whereas my mum, you know, she's the complete opposite. You know, she's like vivacious and um, mm -hmm. exuberant and over the top. Mm. And um, but yeah, I, I've always wanted to be my old man. I think you know that's that's pretty natural for young boys. But um, mm. yeah, the praise the praises. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it comes I'd, from. I was just asking because it sounds like you're you've matured. You feel like you're maturing. Just listening to you and Jay talk, it just feels like you're going to a point where it's. You know, it's almost like you're just ready to start. Mm. You know, that's what I'm hearing in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, I just realised we're just coming up to ten to nine. What was we talked about finishing at quarter two? We talked about yeah. We hadn't, we hadn't really. What, what was the plan with Andre about what time we're going to wrap up? 
Uh, I was going to try and push as much into the hour as I could because I'm about a tenth of the way through what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Sorry, mate. All right. Um, but and actually yeah. on that note, Andre, like quick thing you said today, you had um, some reviews today at work yeah. and, and you were saying, yeah. you said a beautiful thing, which only thing worse than getting feedback is not getting it. Yeah, 100%. Right I, I think, Love you know, that. we've got, you know, we've got, there's nothing worse than not knowing what people are thinking. And I think, you know, we're in a situation where if your direction's right and there's there's enough trust in the room, you need to hear the things that you can improve on. And it's too common that we'll say these things to other people, but not to the person that needs to hear them. And as long as, you know, the old intention versus the outcome, as long as they match and, you, and you're gifted in the way that you guide that opportunity through, um, you've got to hear the things that people are saying about you, particularly if they're relevant. And so the only thing worse than not hearing the, or the only thing worse than hearing the, the crappy feedback is not hearing the crappy feedback because then you don't know. So, um, you know, I, I, again, my first ever feedback session was shocking, man. And, and, and I hate it. I was angry. You know, that's, that's my, my my background, I got I got Corsican blood in me, you know. Corsican motto is revenge. <laughs> it's like, you know, I was ready to stab people, you know. So um, it, it's it's because it, it, it dented my ego, not because it was um, wrong feedback, but because it dented my ego. And I was trying to help them. And how dare you be ungrateful for the for the gifts I'm passing down to you, the knowledge that I have? You must be grateful. So, um, you know, it, it's it's now that I'm past that point, I'm excited by. The stuff I can work on, uh, they be, they become more and more challenging as I get older, because I'm working deeper into stuff that I don't know enough about myself um, to work through. And so, everyone should know why they respond the way they respond, rather than just accepting it. Um, but I'm it, the way I respond has a big effect on the people that I have a duty of care with. And so I have to be really mature in the way that I respond and really sure that it's a response rather than a reaction. And so, yeah, it, it's really, mate, it's, it's, you, you just think you're getting somewhere in the coaching world and you just think, yeah, I'm nailing this. And then you're like, ah, uh, bro, you got, you got ages to go. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you use outside of your, uh, obviously you get feedback from your, you know, the hierarchy of a, of a system. Yeah. Who, do you yeah. use any people outside of, um, outside of that for feedback? Do you have any mentors? And Yeah. So um, RJ Smith was at New Zealand Cricket. He was awesome. He was incredible and so gracious and nothing was ever wrong. He just always challenged you nicely with a smile, with a knowing smile. So you knew that, you'd, you know, you had a way to go. Um, my, my Probably my biggest mentor uh, and the guy that's really helped shape me is Craig Lewis. Um, you know, he's been incredible at helping me find out who I am and helping me understand one of the big light, you know, one of the big light bulb moments was working styles. You know, my working style is different to other people's, which is why I have conflict. Um, and so there's no right or wrong in that aspect. It's just understanding that there's a difference there, which is why you feel the way that you feel. And so just even being able to understand that was really cool. Um, Craig's been awesome paul mckinnon was the guy that introduced me to craig but he also introduced me to the to the chiefs um and he was yeah again this seems to be the theme with the rugby guys you know non-judgmental willing to let you go at your own pace willing to uh, learn um and it, i've always had this big crush on rugby because i just feel like it's more family orientated um 
but yeah, I, I there's there's people that have helped shape me as well. Like Tony Sale was a massive influence on me because he wasn't a technical coach. He was actually he was always on at me to to, to just you know to take my chances. I remember him saying to me, "Mate, why did you stop at four wickets? You could have got six, you know, like." Why'd you stop there? Knowing that I had the potential to go further and do more, knowing that I stopped. And I was always grumpy because I I knew that he was right, you know. Um, but yeah, there, there's there's been there's been big influences on me as a as a as a person and, and as a as a coach. But as a coach, Craig Lewis has been um, he's the guy that I turn to when I'm when I'm pretty lost. Nice. Um yes, very good. DG, anything to add there? You've been writing away. No, I'm just wondering what the what the community's saying. They'll be loving this. Um, Alison has got a question: biggest learning in cricket. Uh, it just depends on what uh, it depends on what aspect you're looking at from a, from a coaching point of view. Biggest biggest learning in cricket is um, there's no one way to do it. You know, that's the old um, Maslow 1966, the law of the instrument. Um, uh, biggest learning in cricket as a player was that um, the game was was way simpler than um, than everyone made it out to be. Um, you know, there was it was a lot easier when you just enjoyed the game um, and you thought about what you could do. Um, you know, very a very simple example is we spend all this time as bowlers worrying about not getting hit for six when really. You, you're going to get hit for six, so it's part of the deal. But instead of thinking, I don't want to get hit here, if you change your mindset to, this is what's going to happen now, I'm going to bowl the ball here, he's going to hit it here, and it's going to go to this fielder. So you keep your eye on the batter, I'm going to make this happen. You know, you change from I don't want to, to this is what's going to happen. And it shifts the way you feel about the situation because you feel like you have control. So, um, yeah, we spend too much time in cricket worrying about what we don't want to happen rather than actually focusing on this is what's going to happen this ball. Good. Um, <laughs> yes. No, I won't read the next question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, okay. we'll keep that one out. Yeah, uh, I don't have Facebook on, so I'm not. I'm, I can't see what's on there. Good. DG. Did you have a question for me? Sorry, no, I, I you break up. No, no. DG, have oh. you got anything to add there? You've made heaps of notes. I'm dying um, to look at what's on your bit of paper. I guess, I guess, Andre, can you just give us a bit of an idea about what you do? You know, have you got rituals you live by each day? You've talked about building your relationship with your sons over the COVID mm. period over there and maximising time together as a family. Mm. What would be your one or two go-dos that helps you get the best out of yourself? Uh, so uh, I try to remember every day, and it doesn't happen every day because sometimes you're in a rush, um, you know, which is an excuse. Uh, and accepting it as a truth. Uh, I try to remember every day to um, to act with integrity. Um, and that doesn't always happen because I, I can be a very revengeful person. Um, and so it's it's like if I feel like I've been harmed, and that's that's certainly a background thing. Um, I try to I try to act with integrity and empower dignity. And when I remember to do that, I'm a much better person in the mornings and throughout the day because I have a set of goals and values to live by. When I don't remember to do it, um, I'm rushed and I'm grumpy and I'm I'm taking things into consideration that I don't have any control over. Um, and so, yeah, that's 
integrity and dignity are the two things I'm trying to live by. And I say, I keep saying trying because it's not a hundred percent yet. It's not exactly who I am. Um, but when it comes to my family and my, particularly my, my wife, I'll try to be more present with her when I'm with her um, and actually give her time because we're only here for a certain amount of time and I've wasted so much of it already being an ignorant shit. So um, it's time to, it's time to be more attentive to her given she stood by me when I was an ignorant shit. So, um, you know, I think you learn more about yourself as you get older, you take less for granted. And I was very much a dominant father. I remember Wayne Smith saying I wasn't a very good father when I was younger and it really hit home with me. I was like, actually, nor was I, I was, I was a shocking father. You know, I wasn't present. I, I was resentful of the time that the kids would take it. I couldn't do the lifestyle that I used to live, you know, and I was also resentful of the fact that I didn't love them the way that I should love a kid when they come into the world. You know, everyone talks about this love for babies, but it takes time to grow for some people. Um, and so I hated myself for that. And so I guess that sort of manifested in, in its own way. But now I try to make sure that Dante, my oldest boy, um, has the opportunities to do things the way that he wants to do them. And I only offer advice when it's actually advice rather than what I think he should do, if that makes sense. Um, and it's been really empowering to go from this yelling, screaming ogre to this person who's willing to sit down and listen more than I speak. Um, and I've only learned that through this coaching scenario, um, that you need to be more present and give people time. And I was like, how can I give these people that, you know, that I'd work with more time than I do my family? How can I be more willing to help on a real level rather than actually be connected to my family? And so I think as you get older and you become more aware of your mortality, you start thinking, well, actually, um, the time that I have is a time that I should be giving to the ones closest to me. Hmm. Lovely. I reckon, Jay, that's a pretty nice yep. close. It is a lovely way to wrap up, isn't it? Absolutely. You don't have to push out. You don't have to push out the next minute, Jay. That's all right. <laughs> Squeeze already, it out. Get your full value. I've already told him he's coming back on. It's not. He's not a one and done. Oh man, is outstanding, Andre. Thank you very Thanks much for having Andre, me. Thanks for, for having time. me. I, I, honestly, I've been geeking out about this. You know, I've absolutely loved the podcast. Well done on it as well. Like it's been. It's been revealing in many ways, just listening. Um, so much resonates with me on a personal level. Um, and the honesty that you bring, DG, you know, it's always challenging that, you know, we can make excuses all the time, which is what we do, man. You know, we love that psychological safe. Don't make an excuse to keep myself feeling safe because, you know, mm. it makes me feel good. Um, it's been awesome to have that challenge through that COVID period. So a massive thanks from me because it's been, it's been one of the things I've really looked forward to each week. Mm. Epic, epic. Thank, Thank you, you. massively. Right. Cheers, everybody. Cool. Thanks, everyone. See Cheers. you again next week. Thanks for listening. DG and I are trying to grow the podcast, and we'd love it if you could share it with your friends or your community and leave us a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to it on. 